because machines can see things or interpret things or think differently, it adds a whole new dimension of capability for us. So the synergy between people think, machine think is unlocking whole new opportunities and avenues for us in terms of business as well as social impact. You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today, we're talking about artificial intelligence and the potential impacts now and in the future to business and individuals. To help us, we are extremely lucky to have with us Neil Sohota, author of Own the AI Revolution, an IBM Master Inventor, United Nations Artificial Intelligence Subject Matter Expert and Professor at UC Irvine. Neil, thank you so much for taking time and welcome to the show. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Chad. Excited to be here. Yeah, so we always start with an off-the-wall kind of topic because uh, it gives our audience a chance to get to know you a little bit better. And right now, I've been on this kick about understanding something people are passionate about that those of us that only know you through a work environment might be surprised to learn. You know, that, that's, that's an interesting question. I do spend a lot of time on the road. You know, a lot of times in planes, trains, and cars, but I actually am very passionate about sailing. I don't think a lot of my (laughs) my colleagues actually know that. I love being in the water. And, uh, you know, I actually used to compete actively in the summertime sail races uh, at home. I don't know what what is it about, but being out in the ocean just has a nice common effect. And I'll I'll tell you, some of those guys are wizards when it comes to sailing because it'll be like, hey, rotate the jib one-eighth of an inch to port side and we'll squeeze out an extra knot. It's like, that that's some amazing science <laughs> and engineering right there. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That is awesome. Is that something you did from the time you were a kid or how'd you get into that? No, no, I mean, I, you know, growing up, especially in California, you know, it's very much like a surfer boy, that, that kind of stuff. But you know, going to college, I had some friends that were just kind of, you know, there was like different types of classes over by the marina. And one of my friends said, hey, let's keep sailing a shot. And I just really loved it. So I just kind of stuck with it. Nice. Excellent. Yeah, it's always good to have a passion. I, I don't know about you. I work um, all the time, it feels like sometimes. And so to have those passions that get us out of the office and get us away, give our brains time to process and incubate uh, are always interesting to learn. I've, I've had people on, had one gentleman on who actually was uh, very passionate about donkey rescues. I didn't even know there was such a oh, thing. Wow. Yeah. He was yeah. really into, and then he had a whole, I mean, he knew all of the, all of the details about the species and it was just amazing. So it's great to, great to hear that. And thank you very much for, for sharing that with us in the audience. And so now let's jump into artificial intelligence. I always like to start with a little bit of context because I think the words artificial intelligence and machine learning get thrown around a lot, almost interchangeably when I don't know that they necessarily should be. So would love to get your perspective on, you know, what is a good definition of artificial intelligence and what's the, de- what's the difference between artificial intelligence and machine learning? Well, that's a great question and a tough one to answer in this respect because AI is a bit of a moving target when it comes to being defined. <laughs> but... I'll try and put it uh, as, as simply and briefly as I can. 
machine learning is really part of AI. When it, when it comes to artificial intelligence, we tend to think of three main components. So one is actually machine learning. So we're not really programming the computer, we're not saying these are the different paths or these are the rules you need to apply. We just give it lots and lots of data and we give it something that we call ground truth. And ground truth are really the rules on how to make decisions. So we let the machine sift through all this data, apply these rules, try different things. And much like, you know, as, as we learn by doing observation, so is the machine. And so the machine kind of wires its own pathways and, you know, we call it neural networks to figure out how things work or how to make good recommendations or, and so forth. And so that's, you know, at a, at a very high level machine learning. So that's one component of AI. The second with AI is the ability to actually understand natural language. And, you know, Chad, for you and I, it's, it's totally instinctive second nature, right? We, we get it. Right. You, most, you of think about how we, <laughs> yeah, most of the time. Most of the time. True. <laughs> think about all the slang, jargon, all the stuff. I mean, like, we don't use proper language all the time. You know, I'm known for throwing out dude and awesome all the time. <laughs> So, you know, if I, if, I, if I tell your audience right now, hey, yo, I'm feeling really down because it's raining cats and dogs, right? Uh, most of the audience probably knows what I'm saying. Whereas if I told that to a machine, the machine is like, what do you mean he's feeling down? Is he sinking into the earth and small animals are falling from the sky? I think this doesn't even compute, right? So, you know, for, for, for better or worse, you know, machines, we, we think, take things literally, but with AI, it realizes that it's not literal meaning, it's not denotation, it's connotation, that it's the context, the conversation that actually yields more information. So that's the second big component. And the third is just the ability to have a conversation with a person like it's another person. So I'm not worried about using the right keywords or got the right phrase or something like that. It's not like, you know, you know, if I go, you know, if you go to Alexa and you give it a direct command, say, Hey, Alexa, turn the lights off, right? It'll do it. It understands that. If I'm like, Hey, Alexa, it's pretty bright in here. I don't know what to do with that. Right. <laughs> but you know, again, the difference between machine learning and AI, right. And AI would say, okay, he's, he'll saying, Hey, well, you know, it's, it's kind of bright in here. I probably should just, dim the lights a bit, right? You know, kind of get that and say, yo, or might come back and say, yo, Neil, I, I, I get that. You want me to go ahead and dim the lights for you? You know? Gotcha. Please, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like several conversations I've, I've had with ex-wives, actually. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the trash is full. Yeah, that doesn't keep you. Doesn't yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, no, nope, I went there. It's all good. Uh, my audience is uh, anybody who's ever been in class with me, or who's ever worked with me, or or listened to the podcast has heard my jokes. I'm friends with the exes. It's all good. It's just uh, I don't know, kind of humorous when, especially when you're talking about the understanding and the contextual elements of that understanding, I hadn't ever, I guess, really thought about the fact that the vast majority of my ability to understand another person isn't necessarily the words as much as it is the context. Yeah, and like you said, that's why we, we take it for granted. It's really more second nature, instinctive, you know, whatever the right word might be here. And, you know, for a machine, this is actually incredibly difficult because machines don't think the same way that we think. 
Like if we look at a photo, right, we're trying to find objects and all these types of things. The machine is looking at pixels, right? And it's looking at colors and trying to, you know, assemble things. So it's just like, you know, it's almost like, you know, they, you know that old book, what is it? Uh, Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Right. Right. It's a very similar thing. Just the way that people think and machines think are actually just radically different. That's also the great opportunity in that because machines can see things or interpret things or think differently, it adds a whole new dimension capability for us. So the synergy between people think, machine think is unlocking whole new opportunities and avenues for us in terms of business as well as social impact. And so how did you get, how did you get into artificial intelligence? Was it something you always, you know, we've always been programming since, you know, we got your hands on your first computer or what, what was the path to artificial intelligence? I know really total accident. Like most of the things in my life, just, <laughs> you know, saw an opportunity and pursued it. Um, you know, I, I was with my formative youth as a management consultant, you know, working with a lot of Google Fortune 500 companies and, you know, about 12, 13 years ago, Business intelligence was a really hot area. A lot of companies were getting into it. And you know, I had a lot of clients just going like, you know, Neil, it's amazing. The the insights the machines are telling us. I'm just saying like the machines aren't telling us anything. Right? <laughs> we have these sweet tools that uh, you know help us collect, store data. We could slice and dice the data that we want, create these cool looking reports, but it's not telling us anything. But I'm like, but could a machine tell us that? It could actually do that for us, and so I wound up creating a series of patents around that. That you know now actually slots into that machine learning area. And you know I was working for IBM at the time, and get a call from some R and D guys asking my patents, and they were saying, you know, this kind of helps us out in some of our work. Do you want to come on board? And that was something called Watson. So I was uh, part of the Watson team before there was an IBM Watson. Excellent. That's very cool. That is very cool. And so, okay. So uh, happy accident, get into it at IBM, got some patents. Now, how do we go from there to United Nations artificial intelligence subject matter expert? That's a, I mean, that, <laughs> like, I mean, IBM, master inventor, awesome. Like you could have stopped there. Like you could have just been like mic drop. I was part of the team that created Watson, but now it's United Nations Artificial Intelligence Subject Matter Expert. How do you, how does that happen? Again, total accident, but this time also a very good friend. <laughs> Actually, one of my very good friends, Stephen Ibaraki, you know, we would collaborate on various things. And I, I remember I had helped him out with something and it went very well. And I remember he called me up just on a quick debrief. He was very thankful. And he's like, Hey Neil, I have had this amazing opportunity. The United Nations, you know, is very interested in learning about artificial intelligence and, you know, they have these special things. How would you like to basically go and, and talk in front of all the ambassadors or all leaders about AI and what it could do for you know, public service? And I, I thought he was totally yanking my chain. So, yeah, right, Stephen. Uh-huh, sure, the UN. He's like, no, no, Neil, seriously. I, you know, I'm on the organizing committee for this. And I didn't even have to sell you to the young guys who actually heard you speak before. Like, you think you'll come and do it? I'm like, uh-huh, right. <laughs> he, it turned out he was deadly serious. <laughs> 
And and so, you know, thankfully he convinced me that he was going to And and so I, I went and did it and um I, I will kind of put a little backdrop on this. I was kind of warned by by some of the UN staff that um a, a lot of folks in the room believe that AI is Terminator time, uh. that they believe the machines are gonna rise up destroy humanity and conquer the world. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm glad I had those expectations. Right. <laughs> and, but so I, I, I gave, uh, I gave my talk and I'm, I'm very optimistic. I know there's a lot of fear among other things, but I'm very optimistic because I believe AI is a tool. It's about how we wield it. It's about a mindset. And so I, I talked a little bit about what was AI, but I talked more about, what we could do with AI, how this could be a tool for public service, for social good, for the sustainable development goals. And so, that, so what were some of those things? What are some of those things? Because you're right, there's a lot of fear mongering. I mean, the minute you say AI, it's, I mean, it gets pretty divisive at times, depending yeah. on who you're talking to. And so, so let's highlight some of those things that where you see AI helping the public good. What were some of the things that you shared with the UN? Well, one of the things I, I chatted with actually was about an initiative called Project Lucy, where it was a consortium of, so I, I should probably backdrop for a second. So Project Lucy is an initiative where they're trying to help build out the uh, infrastructure in Africa. So things around like agriculture, education, healthcare, all these things, using AI technology. And so I shared some of the work that like some of the African governments, some NGOs, some, some of the big you know, tech companies and so forth are doing. And one of the things I highlighted was just like farming. You know, there's very, in some areas, there's very little, you know, arable land. And, you know, using AI technology and like analyzing soil content, weather patterns, this kind of stuff. We were actually able to help farmers grow crops or actually improve crop yields like 20, 30%. By doing things like, hey, you know, if you move these seeds over two millimeters to the left, you can actually make better use of the soil and the climate. Or if you planted this crop, or you know, if you did this, you could use you know twenty percent less water. And they were surprised by that. You know, they're, they're thinking like third world farmers. You know, they don't really exactly have sophisticated infrastructure. All these things are resources or funds, but they were actually able to grow more food with less resources and growing more food actually really helps the local community and wow. uh, it helps fight, you know, fight famine and, you know, creates jobs. It pumps more money in the community and, and then that can be repurposed for health and education, these types of things. And it's, it's kind of one quote unquote simple thing. And that was just one of those eye openers for them where they just started thinking like, there's probably a lot that we could actually do here. Wow. And so, okay. So when you hear people that, that worry about AI, right? If you get into business, there's a lot of people concerned it's going to take their jobs and it's another evolution and, and no more manufacturing. Now we're going to cyber jobs and people getting replaced. Or you have those that really saw Terminator at a very formative time in their lives <laughs> and believe that, that that may absolutely happen. When you find yourself dealing with those types of conversations, how do you address them and, and alleviate the fear? I, I, look, I, I try to be very much honest about it. And I, I really try and say, at the, at the end of the day, a lot of this, unfortunately, is mindset. We can look at this as a threat or we can look at this as an opportunity. 
is the nature of work or the future work going to change? Absolutely. It's been changing the entire history of humanity. Right. Yeah, it's not new. <laughs> change has been pretty, pretty standard since we started this. Yeah. I mean, are some jobs going to go away? Absolutely. No, I, I wish it wasn't the case, but that's just the reality. Are new jobs going to get created? Absolutely. And I very much emphasize that, you know, these, the new jobs, the future of work, you don't have to be the passenger for that, right? You don't have to wait till someone figures something out. You could be part of that wave that actually defines what that future of work will actually be. You know, if you're like a salesperson, for example, and you're going, well, am I going to be, you know, automated out of a job? Is there going to be an AI sales robot doing my work? Or could you say like, well, you know, if we start moving down this path, What's more complex value-add work could I do? Or how could I reshape the future of sales where, you know, there's going to have to be machine people collaboration. What would that look like? How could I define that? Or would I be a sales manager managing robot sales, you know, people? <laughs> how would that work? So there's still a lot of greenfield here. And it's just, I think the people that have see that and see the opportunity and take that definition are going to be the pioneers. And that really is, that really does come down to the mindset and to the to the way somebody chooses to approach the problem to begin with, and that's a big challenge for a lot of people. Um, the self awareness and what I find interesting about all of the, especially in my own field, the technology coming in is not a silver bullet for anybody. There, it's literally tools, and almost in sales and marketing, there are what seven over seven thousand sales and martech companies right now putting out applications that are supposed to yeah hey, make you more efficient and do this and do that but what's happening is the human element is becoming even more valuable yet overlooked because at the end of the day we're still talking about people interacting with and communicating with building trust credibility and rapport with other human beings and that skill set is one that becomes uh, i see becoming more increasingly valuable especially for those that do have the right mindset and say okay part of this job is going to get automated out. So I need to figure out which skills and which elements aren't and then focus on up-leveling that. And I think it gives us an opportunity, but I think you're right. It comes right back down to, to mindset. It does. And believe me, I, I get most people don't like change. It's not an easy thing, <laughs> but, but it's, it's coming whether we like it or not. And, you know, they always say the one constant in life is change. However, I think if we just look back even the past couple of decades of our history, change is happening faster and faster. And so it's, it's not even a question of, okay, I, I see which way the trend is moving. Now I'll race to catch up. It's like we kind of got to be on top of that wave. Yeah, you, know, you have be to be comfortable. The wave. Yep. Yeah. You have to be comfortable with it. You have to come. I mean, it's, it's basically, it's just a constant state of, and the word change, I think, freaks people out. I, for me, I think it's just an, an evolution it's an evolution of the context in which we are living and because of the advancements in science and technology and all that we get to have them faster and so you just have to be instead of saying oh i want this nobody's gonna work well i shouldn't say nobody i don't want to use absolutes um but most people aren't going to work in the same job for 30 years anymore there's going to be side hustles or there's going to be you know they're going to change and and that's just part of it so even the fact that we have this society where change is happening faster, it scares people, they don't know how to handle it. But it really starts with, you know, to go back to it goes back to their mindset, it goes back to, can you get comfortable enough with yourself 
to optimize how you're interacting with this constant stream of movement? Well, for, for sure. And I, I think sometimes we lose sight of that, right? Because things always become the new normal. Like, you know, I always ask people, like, do you remember life before your, your smartphone? <laughs> and, you know, for those of us that are old enough, so, well, yeah, kind of. It was like a super long time ago. And it's like, you know, if I remember correctly, I think the iPhone came out like the end of June 2007. So it, it's, it's like 12 years old, right? <laughs> in the scheme of things, it's, it's not that old. Uh, you know, 10 years ago, we didn't have Uber drivers or like social media marketers and managers, that kind of stuff. And right. Right, we, we kind of lose sight. It's kind of, you know, start, start kind of living in the moment. It's just that you know these these changes aren't going to happen over a few few years anymore. They're, they're happening rapidly. Right, right. Okay, so we talked about uh, applications for AI in public sector and for good. Uh, what are you seeing? You know, today, what are you seeing that is the most exciting applications of AI in business? So that, that that's a great question because there's always a lot of stuff going on, but. One of the things I've, I've always been interested in is uh, artificial empathy. It's, it's become kind of a hot field in AI where, you know, even though machines don't feel the emotions, could they detect and dynamically respond? Like, you know, if an AI is having a conversation with me and sees I'm happy and it starts joking around with me and it's suddenly like angry, recognize that, you know, kind of soothing. But I actually see that as a powerful tool and I'm seeing more and more businesses actually recognizes this in terms of communication. So if you, if you think about it, you can have that more natural conversation, but you can have that more organic conversation and actually kind of speak the language of the other person. It's a powerful thing when it comes to sales or therapy or you know, even spousal <laughs> communication. <laughs> nice tie back, nicely done. <laughs> But, you know, we, we, we've all been there. You know, we've we either been trying to, you know, sell someone on, on our product, services, company, ourselves, or someone's trying to sell us. And it's just like, it's not connecting, right? Some person, their focus or, you know, what really motivates them is, you know, I got to understand the details, right? I got to dig into the details. And so they try and sell that way. Except the person they're talking to doesn't care about the details. They want to understand just, okay, uh, you know, I, I want reassur- I want reassurance that's going to solve my problem. Right. Because there's that huge disconnect, right? It's hard for us as as people to, to pick up on that, right? Because we, we expect people to kind of think like we do. And I, I think with AI and artificial empathy, this is going to be a powerful communication tool to overcome that gap. Yeah, the, uh, we spend a, I spend a lot of time and basically when people ask me what I do, I say, you know, I'm basically providing a communication framework so one person can understand another person's perspective. And so it can be, we use it primarily in sales, but it can be used anywhere. The subtle, just in working with, you know, some of the largest companies in the world, watching the subtle mind shift that just has to happen. You know, I usually will start class and say, look, nobody woke up this morning and said, wow, I want an Adobe product. Said no one ever. What they woke up with <laughs> was a problem that an Adobe product may provide a solution for. 
And what we want to uncover are those problems. So here's a framework to have that conversation. And I'm not picking on Adobe. That could have been any, it could have been any company. Nobody, nobody wakes up and says that, right? It's just, especially in a B2B environment. And so that yeah. ability to uncover another person's perception of value based on the problems they need to solve and the goals they need to achieve is a skill set that uh, takes a little bit of that mind, sh- mind shift, right? Which is why that statement resonated with me uh, so much. So when you look out three to five years, so because change is happening so rapidly, normally back in the old days, if we were on radio, I would have probably said, hey, in, in 10 years, what do you think? But we've got AI, it's moving fast. You know, We've got smart homes, IoT, all of these things, all of this data. Uh, in fact, I had somebody call me out the other day because I was carrying my smartphone. I had my Apple Watch. My computer was in my backpack and I was looking at my tablet. And <laughs> and I'm like and and they're like, do you have any idea how much data you are you are generating right now where you're standing? And I'm like, you know, you start to think about it. And it's like, well, I wear the Apple Watch because I want the fitness tracker, and I want my steps counted, and I need my heart rate information, and I do the little ECG, and that goes into my health for my doctor, and I want the map to know where I am when I open it up, so it can tell me where I'm going. And so it becomes this uh, amazing amount of data and it's moving very fast. But if you look out three years, let's say three years, beyond artificial empathy, what's next in AI that businesses should be kind of looking at the horizon a little bit for? I think it's really going to be this assistant model. I wish I could say there'd be one assistant like one general assistant, like you see on movies and TVs, that's just our personal assistant that will answer any question that we have. But we're, we're a long way from what we call artificial general intelligence. But I, I think all these, you know, I guess I'll call them kind of admin or mundane or paperwork or administrative type of tasks will actually have an assistant to either just take care of it or answer our questions. So if it's things like, okay, you know what, I got to renew my driver's license. I don't have to worry about, okay, that goes again, something like that. So it'll be like a DMV AI assistant that'll just help you do it. You know, if you're going to go like, hey, I got to go you know, triage my, my pipeline right now to see what deal I can close before the end of the quarter, right? I have to, you know, sort through like, you know, whatever my CRM tool is, all these types of notes. It'll be a, someone will help you create an AI sales digital assistant for you. So I really seen that become the norm because there's a lot of people working on that and all working in these different areas right now because we only have what we call A and I artificial narrow intelligence. Excellent. I would, you know, there are certain things I would love to be able to have that <laughs> assistant for that I really just don't like doing. In fact, in sales, if I could just, and I think we're getting close, but we're not there yet. If I could just say to my little device, hey, capture these three notes and send a follow-up email to this person. That would save me so much time that it would be unbelievable. I don't know if I trust it yet enough. <laughs> we go back, go back to my OCD, but, <laughs> but, but it'll be interesting. All right. So let's change direction here a little bit. We ask all of our guests kind of two standard questions at the end of each interview. And the first is simply as a sought after author and inventor and, and expert on artificial intelligence, people are trying to get your attention all the time, I bet, right? Want to get some time, want to talk about things. When somebody doesn't have a referral or a, a relationship with someone that you trust, what is it that captures your attention and helps them earn the right to get 10, 15, 20 minutes on your calendar? Oh, that, that is a great question, Chad. Yeah, it, it's, it's hard because I try to filter out the noise. 
<laughs> well, you probably have an assistant running on your email that says, no, this is crap. This is crap. This is crap. There's some program in the back. You got to get three to five years. Remember, three to five years. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, what, what, what tends to work with me is, is someone that uh, when they reach out, they call and say, you know, I, I believe this is a problem. It's either a problem for me or it's a problem that they know I'm working on. And real quick and says, this is how I think I, I, I can solve it. And this is the utility. Or if they're like, you know what, I, I need help. I want to, you know, I want to help help free up doctor time for something like that. And, you know, I bring XYZ to the table, but I don't know how to, to marry that with this. So it, I really look for something that real immediately gives me the, the value proposition, so to speak, right? That, you know, in just two, three sentences, I know immediately, okay, is it worth spending my time with this person or not? Because, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. I get, I get bombarded with like, messages all the time where people are like, oh, hey, you know what? I got the startup. We're doing really cool things. Let's set up, a, you know, an hour to share more. And it's like, I, I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> I don't know where you're at. You know, I, I, you know, don't even send me a link to your website. So, you know, it, it, it's just like selling somebody. The more work you make, the, the prospect have to do, the less likely they're going to engage. Yeah, excellent. Excellent. All right, last question. We call it our acceleration insight. There's one thing you could tell sales and marketing people, one piece of advice you could give them that if they listened, you believe will help them achieve their goals. What would it be and why? I'm going to borrow a page from uh, Sherry Tree and say that if you want to get more yeses, you have to get more yeses. So it's not like getting more no's to get more yeses, right? You got to improve your conversion rate. And the best way to do that is to actually just speak the language of the, the, your prospect or your target. And, you know, we, we have a lot of great tools and there's a lot of great AI tools now to help you do that. But you can't go in with a one size all, even like a micro segment kind of target anymore. You kind of have to know, like, if I'm going to talk to this person in this company, what they care about is not just okay, I, the, the problem and the value, but that particular person, they really have to understand the features or this person really has to understand the cost benefit trade-off or, you know, and totally zero in your message on what they are looking for. It's, it is a lot of work, but that's how you get more yeses. I love it. I love it. Nicely said. All right. Perfect. Neil, if a listener's interested in talking more about what we've touched on today, where do you want us to send them? How do you want us to have them get in contact with you? Well, that'd be awesome. I would obviously love to hear from your listeners. Uh, easiest ways to get a hold of me is you can visit my website, neilsohoda.com or connect with me on, or follow me on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'm very active. Uh, I do try to sift through my messages and, you know, respond back to those ones where they, they give me that value proposition. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right, Neil, thank you so much for taking the time. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Hey, this was awesome. Thanks very much for having me, Chad. All right, everybody that does it for this episode, you know the drill, b2brevexec.com. Share the episode with friends, family, coworkers. Leave us a review on iTunes if you like what you hear. And until next time, we at Value Selling Associates wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. 
Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.